0: Welcome to your daily cup of true crime in 15 minutes or less from Hot Crime Cold Coffee. Listener discretion advised due to sensitive material and some violence. These daily episodes are brought to you Monday through Friday, in addition to our regular weekly episodes that you can find on Wednesdays and Fridays. Today is Thursday, October 19th, and yesterday's true crime trivia question was, what are the names of the brothers that are notorious for killing their parents? And the answer is the Menendez brothers. Joseph Lyle Menendez was born on January 10th, 1968, and his brother, Eric Galen Menendez, born... November 27th, 1970. They were convicted in 1996 for the murders of their parents, Jose and Mary Louise Menendez. For whatever reason, this is a case that I remember being aware of when I was a kid. So many parents were talking about it, how these two kids just up and killed their parents because, well, they didn't like them. And a lot of parents were extremely fearful. Their father, Jose Enrique Menendez, was born in Havana, Cuba, and was an immigrant. He worked really hard to provide for his family. He went to school to become an accountant. And he eventually became a corporate executive of the company known as International Video Entertainment, which took the family from New Jersey all the way out to Beverly Hills in California. On August 20th of 1989, police got a frantic phone call from the brothers and Lyle was shouting, someone killed my parents, someone killed my parents. The police showed up and talked to both of the boys who told them that the killings had occurred while they were out at the movie theater watching the movie Batman and that they had also gone to the Taste of LA Festival. One of the things is that police did not do a gunshot residue test on the boys, which might have cleared everything up immediately. And I'm thinking the reason that they didn't do it is because the boys weren't really suspects at first. This didn't come out until the trial, but earlier in the day, The boys had gone into the den with shotguns and murdered their parents in cold blood. Their father was shot six times, and their mother was shot ten times. Right after they killed their parents, the boys stayed at the house, fearful that law enforcement would respond because they had been shooting shotguns. They thought that someone would have called in a noise complaint But nobody did. So they cleaned up. They picked up all of the shotgun shells. And left the house to get rid of all of the evidence. And also to build an alibi. In the beginning, law enforcement really didn't have a lot of leads. They weren't sure who did it. But the boys pretty much went on a... Spending spree. They bought businesses, luxury items. They traveled all over the world. They bought restaurants. They spent approximately $700,000 before they were arrested, and it could have been a lot more. Some of their family members disputed that money was possibly a motive and That the boys spent like that all of the time After doing a little bit of research and reading the court documents their dad wasn't a huge spender He didn't randomly You know buy things Police tried to get a confession from Eric By putting a wire on his friend, but Eric denied killing his parents, he eventually confessed to his psychologist, and the psychologist told his mistress, and when the mistress broke up with the psychiatrist, she told the police all about the brother's involvement, Lyle was arrested on March eighth, 1990, and Eric turned himself in three days later after returning to Los Angeles from Israel. Eric was really good at tennis, and he participated in a lot of tennis tournaments in Israel. The boys were tried twice. The first trial was in 1993. And their defense was that they killed their parents because their father was so abusive and they just wanted the abuse to end. They were tried at the same time, but they each had their own jury. And it led to a mistrial because the jury couldn't reach an agreement. Both of the juries were deadlocked. And so... They were retried again in 1996. This time, it was one jury for both of the brothers, and they were convicted of murdering their parents. Both of the brothers were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Today's true crime trivia question is... Whose assassination was allegedly committed from the Texas School Book Depository? And I will have the answer to that question for you tomorrow. Today in true crime history, on October 19th, 1989, Anna Maria Phelps and Daniel Lauer vanished while driving to Virginia Beach. Their bodies were found along I-64 and are considered part of the Colonial Parkway Murders. The Colonial Parkway Murders consists of at least four couples. Three of the couples were found slain and the fourth couple is missing and presumed dead. The four couples were killed between 1986 and 1989. The first couple was Kathy Thomas and Rebecca Dowski. The second couple is David Knobling and Robin Edward. And they were killed on September 22nd, 1987. The third couple is Cassandra Haley and Richard Call. Their bodies have never been found, and they were last seen on April 10th, 1988. And the fourth couple is Daniel Lauer and Anna Maria Phelps. There are very little leads. But all of these disappearances, if you will, happened along Interstate 64 in Virginia. The perpetrator has not yet been identified or found, but as someone reminded me today those families eventually will have justice. That's all that we can hope is that eventually sometime somewhere they'll be able to identify who the killer is and that last couple who's missing. Hopefully they'll be able to find them and bring closure to those families. Also on this day in true crime history on October 19th, in 2007, Yolanda Brown was found murdered, and her case remains unsolved. Yolanda Rose Brown and Jitanu Claiborne, also known as Lala and Kool Aid, were found dead in a recording studio in Milwaukee. There are very few leads in this case, and it has been featured on America's Most Wanted. Not the new one, the old one, back in 2010. And they still have not been able to find the killer. Lala was an up-and-coming R&B artist, and... They don't know what what happened to her or her boyfriend. The bodies were apparently found three days after the murder. And they know, or what's been released to the public, is that they were both shot. Very little information has been released and we don't know if it's because there just isn't any information to release or they're keeping this close to the vest but it's been 15 years today if you do the math i'm really bad at math october 19th, 2007 today is 2022 2022 yep 15 years yay i got it right It's not necessarily considered a cold case, it's just considered unsolved at this point. All right, for crime updates, headlines, all things true crime, Kim Kardashian has a podcast and if you don't know who Kim Kardashian is, then maybe you've been living under a rock. I don't know much about the Kardashians. I can recognize who they are. I see their faces all over media and my TV, but I've never watched their series. But Kim Kardashian has a new podcast, which is ranking number one on Spotify, has surpassed Joe Rogan, and she's getting a lot of flack about it. The reason I'm bringing this up is that there are so many podcasts out there that they'll highlight certain cases so that there's more awareness and attention on those cases. Look at Your Own Backyard podcast. Look at The Serial podcast. Podcasters can make a difference. And what she's doing is that... She is highlighting the case of Kevin Keith. Kim has really made a name for herself by being very active and advocating for those who are convicted unlawfully or are serving a sentence that maybe they shouldn't be. And so that's what she's doing right now. So many people are just trash talking her. And there's no difference between her and those other podcasts out there. Yes, she's known for frou-frou and crazy and rich and keeping up with the Kardashians. That doesn't mean that she can't get involved and do some good work. And kudos to her for championing somebody who think who she thinks has been unlawfully convicted. There's so many cases out there, especially like in the last two decades of people that were wrongfully convicted. Look at Anansaid. Right? His case probably wouldn't have been reviewed without all of the media portrayal and all of the attention brought to it by the podcast serial. So that's what she's doing. She's championing this man who she thinks was unlawfully incarcerated. So kudos for her. Kudos for her for trying to help someone with the power of her voice. I've listened to three episodes now, and I think it is a great true crime podcast. So, Kim, keep up the good work. I encourage you guys to listen. It is a very interesting case, and if he was unlawfully convicted and is innocent, then hopefully they will look again at Kevin Keith's case. Volume three of Unsolved Mysteries came out yesterday on Netflix. I have yet to watch it. They're releasing it in multiple parts. So it's three episodes every week for the next couple of weeks. Hopefully I can binge watch that this weekend. (sighs) I'm not too thrilled with how they're doing the new Unsolved Mysteries. I actually prefer the older ones, and those ones seem to, like, really focus on cases that needed to be solved. I felt they were way more informative than Netflix Netflix's version of Unsolved Mysteries. It's, I don't know, I can't get into them as much as the old ones. And I've gone back and rewatched a lot of the old ones, especially this last summer. So if you share my opinion, let me know. If you don't share my opinion, let me know on that too. And that's it for today's daily. Catch us again tomorrow. And later today, we will have your regular Wednesday full podcast episode. See you tomorrow.